Mecham Auctions, the world's largest collector car auction company, returns to Indy with Dana Mecham's 37th Original Spring Classic, May 10th through the 18th at the Indiana State Fairground. 3,000 muscle cars, Corvettes, exotics, and more. Broadcast on Motor Trend TV and streaming live on Max. From avid collectors to those new to the Mecham experience, we welcome everyone. Register to bid now at Mecham.com. Meantime, Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. The IU team has won three straight now. And really, it seems like a, a change altogether going back to the start of that Wisconsin game as to what we saw in the three games or the two and a half games, if you will, previous to then. And to talk about where this who's your team is right now from Peaks.com, Jeff Rabjohn's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. So what was it that was said? What was it that was done? You know, obviously, there was a, a players-only meeting prior to that Wisconsin game because this has been a different group, even with the injury since then. What has transpired? Well, I think a couple things. Uh, first of all, the whole players only meeting thing, I think that's gotten really overblown. Uh, I was talking to Trace about that the other day. Yeah. And he's like, he's like, I just texted everybody and said, let's get together. He's like, I don't think it was that big of a thing. And I talked to a couple other players about it. Like, there was no, like, it wasn't really a big, like some coaches say, big come to Jesus meeting. And that's all. It was kind of like, okay, we're struggling. Everybody's still on board. Yep. Okay. All right. Well, let's get our butts back to work. That was more the tone of it. And uh, so it was more of a, um, a business meeting almost really, you know, the, the business of basketball, but it was more my kind of a big business meeting and everybody realized, you know, yeah, we had, you know, three losses in a row. Um, the players felt like, you know, two of them were right there. And certainly the Iowa game was right there for them to take without question. Um, so they kind of looked at it like, well, <clears throat> all right, are we all still on board? Yep. We're all still on board. Okay. All right. Well, let's get back to work then. So that's what happened there. But I think the, the two really big things have happened. One, Trace Jackson Davis got healthy, and he is playing at an unbelievable level. I mean, you know, he and Zach Edia from Purdue are the only Power 5 guys to average 17 points, nine rebounds, and two block shots per game. You know, Trace is on pace to become the only player in any basketball history, <clears throat> excuse me, with 2,000 points and 1,000 rebounds. Uh, you know, he, he now has 40 career double-doubles, 10 career 30-point game, um, and then 38 20-point games. You know, he's up there all time in scoring and rebounding and block shots, which is just kind of crazy to think about. So Trace is dominating. And the other thing is he's doing this while he is the top of the scouting report guy for every opponent. Every team IU plays, job one is to try to stop Trace Jackson Davis, and they still can't do it. He's doing this while you have a guy over there in Tom Izzo who knows a thing or two about defense, who has a big guy in Matty Sissoko who's 6'8", and I think they list him at 260. He's every bit of that. <clears throat> and you've got guards who know how to dig, who know how to double, and Trace is still going and getting 30 and 15. So I think that's 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 number one. The Trace is just absolutely dominating, and there's nothing anybody's been able to do about it for three games. Um, and the other thing is, uh, Indiana just tightened up its defense. Um, you know, instead of constantly helping to certain <clears throat> um, spaces like they 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 did. At Penn State, you know, they, they doubled to stop drivers and left three-point shooters open for for the better part of 40 minutes. And in, in that game, you know, having some understanding of how Woodson likes to play the defense, 
you know, you go back and you watch that game. I, I counted 12 times, at least 12 times, where guys rotated either too fast or too early. Um, but I also think Woodson kind of adjusted more to, okay, there are some guys we don't help off of. So Indiana's just playing its defense a whole lot better. Um, so those are the two things I think are the biggest things. Trace Jackson Davis is playing at a crazy level, and Indiana adjusted its defense uh, and, and, is, and is defending the right guys each night so much better. It's uh, Jeff Rebjohns of Peaks.com on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I want to double back to that Penn State game and then that change that we saw immediately in that game at home against Wisconsin that was, you know, kind of had changed everything. That was the starting point of this three-game win streak. Was that the defense that we saw at State College, was that more about the way it was being coached up or the effort in which that group was playing? Because that was that was kind of a debate we had here because from that point in time, you can tell it looks like they've been coached up. You can tell like they've been motivated and they have motivation in playing D. Prior to that, we wanted to place blame on either the coaching staff or the players for the effort defensively. Which one was it? No, I mean, that was, you know, the whole nail slot rim. Um, if, if you go back and watch the Penn State game, when uh, Penn State is, is starting a dribble drive, the first time they put it down, the first bounce from the wing, Indiana's guards come down to the free throw line to cut off the drive. That's the nail. They're, they're, they were doing what they were taught to do most of the time. Again, I counted 12 times that guys were supposed to rotate back up and didn't. And the slot is obviously – that's the opposite side near the block. Well, what Micah Shrewsbury, Penn State coach, uh, did incredibly well, and he deserves a ton of credit. He looked at that defensive concept and realized you can bait them into helping when you're not really going to drive. You know, there, there were times Miles Dredd uh, started to drive or, or other guys. Um, there, there, was, there was one time Andrew Funk started to drive, and IU doubled Andrew Funk. Andrew Funk has taken four shots at that point in time going into the IU game. Andrew Funk had taken four shots inside the arc all season. There's no reason to double on Andrew Funk. But Shrewsbury kind of like – got the IU defense, he baited them into doubles where there was no reason to double. So, yeah, I mean, I, it was the, the players, for the most part, played nail slot rim the way you're supposed to play it, for the most part. They did make some mistakes. And um, so that was, that was part on the concept and part on the application. It was a little bit of both. But, yeah, that, 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 that's not – you can't play nail slot rim 100% and stay true to every concept when you play a team like Penn State that is trying to get 30-plus threes. They're not trying to get the ball to the rim. And even if they do get the ball to the rim, you know, Andrew Funk drives against Trace Jackson Davis. If you're IU, you've done your job sending a non-driver to your shot blocker, to one of the best shot blockers in the country. Well, there was no reason for all that extra help, you know. I think as, as fans and media, we often say overhelping – Players say, well, it's not overhelping, it's helping to the wrong spot. However you want to phrase it, you know, it doesn't matter. But, yeah, that concept, I don't think it works when you play teams that are trying to get 30-plus threes per game. So Jeff Radjohns of Peaks.com is with us. After the game, you know, Trace had mentioned, and a lot of people got with me on this, that uh, he doesn't think anybody can guard him. And I want to remind people of this. If he has a bad game, if he has a bad stretch, we know how fans react. If he has a bad stretch – they're going to be on him. So there may be a point in which he's going to have to own that quote, but I, for one, don't mind. Knowing knowing what confidence does with him and his game 
on the floor in any moments when he's on the floor. It really is to me kind of like what you see in Miles Turner here. He is at his best when he has supreme confidence. Clearly, Trace has that right now. I don't think you can be half-ass in or half-ass out on that. And I don't mind what he said after the game. And again, full well knowing at some point again, he may have a bad stretch and he's going to have to own it. But I didn't mind it. Well, yeah, I mean, and, and, and I think that thing got tweeted out without context a little bit because he was talking about, he was asked about when people play him one-on-one. And I think what he was, I think he was, I was there when he said it. I think he was answering that question. I don't think he was saying no team can guard me. I think he, I think he was saying nobody can guard me one on one. Yeah, I mean, and that that's what that's what I mean too. And that's uh, people say, okay, oh, yeah. wait a minute, it's it's you know if you're Trace, you don't want to say that. And I'm thinking, why, why if you're Trace, you do want to say that uh, because that's what people have been asking for from him. This level of play, and that comes along with that level of bravado. You know, people have always said, I mean, well, he's, he's too quiet. He's unassuming. People have, you know, have a, you know, contributed that to being soft, whatever. I like this version. And I think if you're an IU fan, this is the version that you want. Yeah. And, and anybody who thinks Trace Jackson Davis is quiet has not spent a lot of time around Trace Jackson Davis. <laughs> you know, he may yell at me for saying that, but whatever. Um, but no, you need you need you need confidence to go out there and be a dominant player at the power five level. You have to be to a degree. You have to be cocky. And I think sometimes fans, they want their their team's players to be cocky, but not act cocky. You know, they, they, they want the Henri on the court, but they want the choir boy in the press conference. And I, I, I don't really care. I, I don't think you have to be that. You know, if, if you want to say something, say it. And sure, you know, if he has a bad game opponents are going to throw that quote back at him. Well, really, I mean, who cares? What's it matter? It doesn't mean anything. And, you know, for your best player to, you know, walk out on the court, you know, with some ornery to him, with, you know, uh, a bravado, uh, with some a little bit of arrogance, you know, I'm going to kick your butt. And you need that. And you're not always going to, you know, you're not always going to be the victor at the power five level. But you need to feel it. You need to walk out on the court like me and my guys are going to kick your butt today. And, you know, I have no problem with players saying what they think. I'm with you. I just – in fact, I think it's good. You know, if you feel that way, say it. Well, and I, I think for him – for him, I think that's what people – people want to see him play at a high level. I just think that when he's playing with, with confidence on or off the floor, that's better for both he personally and better – for this team moving forward. Tamar Bates is a guy that shot the ball incredibly well yesterday from three. Is that something I, I said in a tweet yesterday, if you can bottle that bottle it, it's not something that I would expect to be consistent, but is this maybe been an untapped resource that we could see more prominently the further we go on this season, or was that just a game? I think there's the potential for this to become a more regular occurrence uh, going into the Michigan state game, you know, uh, Bates had played 44 minutes uh, the previous two games and didn't score uh, against, against Michigan state. He goes five for six from three uh, for 17 points. He'd only scored 28 points in the previous five games. So it was definitely way above projected scale, but, you know, having seen tomorrow's game, you know, in high school down there, IMG Academy in Florida, uh, in AAU with KC Run, GMC, and those guys. 
you know, he does have the ability to go out and get you points in bunches. And I think for Indiana to be what they are right now, and I don't mean ranking or record, I mean how they're playing. Past three games, Indiana's played really good basketball. And the game against Michigan State, I think, is the one that if you replicate it, if you're Indiana and you replicate that, you really give yourself a good chance to to string together a number of wins here and, and really, you know, do something here at the end of January and in February because Bates is a legit athlete. And if you get that guy averaging, even get him up to 12, 13, 14 points a game, now all of a sudden you've got three scores most nights. That, I think, really raises the ability of Indiana to win more frequently. So Jeff Rabjohns of Pigs.com on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So a lot of IU fans and Purdue fans as well, for that matter, have circled February the 4th. But up until that point, you got three games for IU. Always tough, no matter what Minnesota team you're talking about. That 9 o'clock start uh, in Minneapolis coming up on Wednesday, Ohio State and then Maryland as well. What do you think about those three games back-to-back-to-back coming up? Uh, Ohio State's the toughest. Maryland's the second toughest. Minnesota, in a way, is oddly scary. They're a bad team, but it's that late-night start in the barn. You get up there to Minnesota. The place is kind of dark. It's a different kind of vibe. And teams occasionally, not just IU, but you've seen it over the years. Everybody's seen it. Teams can sleepwalk the first 10 minutes of a game up there in Minnesota in the barn. So for Indiana, I think the big thing is right now is make sure you're prepared to play real well at Minnesota. Don't all of a sudden have that bad loss. Don't Because right now they have no losses to quad three or quad four teams. So there's no negative drag on their net ranking, which is one of the uh, – you know, criteria for selection and seeding come into tournament time. So you really want to make sure you don't all of a sudden, boom, have a bad loss. Um, I think, I think if they play like they did against Michigan state, I, I think they, I think they beat Minnesota and I think they beat Ohio state at home. Um, obviously Zed Key's a little banged up right now. So if he's not going, you know, that certainly would be something that would play a little toward, toward Indiana's hands. Um, they're going to have to handle Bryce Sensabaugh. You know, somebody's going to have to play outstanding perimeter defense because Sensabaugh is playing at a really He's tough level. He is a tough dude. Yeah. With consistency. And then he, he can go to the rim. He can get to the paint. He can get to the free throw line. He can make threes. Um, he's he's really talented. Um, and then I, I think, I think you know, Maryland on the road, Maryland's playing well. Maryland's really physical. I think that's, I think that's going to be tough on the road. Um, but, you know, if they go through the next three, if they go two and three, and if they've won five of six going into the Purdue game, I think Indiana's really gotten <clears throat> they've really gotten off the mat as far as their whole season goes, and you know the things will be you know really different as far as what their NCAA tournament resume looks like going into that Purdue game on February the fourth. I know Race Thompson got back out there yesterday. Quickly before I let you go, uh, Xavier Johnson. Is there any expectation here? Any theories you might have regarding his possible return? I mean, they're still hopeful he's back in late late February. Um, but obviously, that was surgery, so it has to heal. Whereas with race, it was just a, a knee sprain. Um, so race just needed time for everything, you know, for the sprain to kind of like calm down and, and, and him be able to move. But so I would say with Xavier, with Xavier Johnson, I would say I is hopeful. I, I know Xavier keeps tweeting that he's going to be back. He's going to be back. And that's the mindset you want the player to have. 
But I would say right now with Xavier, I think it's a little more hope than, than, than certainty. But they are hopeful right now that, that, that there's a possibility he comes back in late February. Jeff Rabjohns of Pigs.com. Next up, his coverage from Minneapolis. That is on Wednesday night. That tip is at 9 o'clock. Downstairs, WIBC. 8 p.m. is when that pregame comes along at you. And then you've got a couple of more. And uh, Purdue. Not too far away down the road as we get into February. Hey, Jeff, I appreciate you, man, for coming on here. As always, keep us updated on stuff. Keep us entertained on Twitter, and we'll jump back again here relatively soon to see what this Hoosier team's doing. Sounds good, bud. Always good talking to you. And if you want some very lighthearted entertainment, yes. dude, you got to re- read Joey, Br- Joey Brunk's blog. You and I have both <laughs> talked to Big Joe. You can hear Big Joe's voice when he's telling a couple. <laughs> it is. He had me laugh in the first paragraph. Oh God! It was yeah, it made it with uh, you know, and in, in, in two that have uh, unfortunately passed. And I think about you know Big Joe and think about R. Miller together at Southport watching oh, you know Joey yeah. and those teams of Kyle Simpson play. That always puts a smile on my face. It may not put a smile on like the referee or coaches' faces, but it puts <laughs> it puts a smile on my face. It does. So it was. I when I would go cover those games, it was like halftime. <laughs> I didn't write. I didn't write my thoughts at halftime. I went up and just sat near yeah. R and Big Joe and just listened to them break down the game, tell stories, you know, mock the other team's fans or whatever. They Legendary, were just, they were just, yeah, unbelievable. You know, I, I would pay five dollars to go to a Southport game just to hear stories. From Robin Miller and Big Joe. Yeah, it was legendary. No doubt about that. So, yep, yep, Joey. Right, they, I, I appreciate that, and we'll get back with you again soon. Thanks, Rap. You betcha, man. Talk but, to you. It's uh, Jeff Rabjohns of Peaks.com. Andy Moore, Automotive Group Hotline from The Athletic. He is Zach Kiefer. All right, if this thing right now, in your opinion, had to be trimmed down to three in this coaching search for the Colts, who would be the three, in your opinion? Dang, man, put me on the spot from the jump. Come on now. Come on. Now. You got to bring it. You got to yeah, bring it. it. All right. And I'll, I'll I tell you what, I, I know we all have to own this stuff because we all end up on Twitter and social media, Zach. I said this earlier. We all end up being huge hypocrites. It's just the way that it is. There's no way around it for what you say. Uh, you're just ultimately going to be a hypocrite in some form or fashion. So know that we'll probably have to own being wrong about this. So give me three. Yeah, I'll be honest, man. I've been digging on this, and it's been difficult to get any substance in terms of where this is going. Um, I'll play along just for fun. I'll go with Raheem Morris. I know that his first interview went really well. That's that's what I'm going on based on that. I'm going with Shane Steichen simply because what he has done with that offense in Philly this year is, is, is just so much to like, and this team needs to find a way to fix their broken offense and cultivate a really good system around a young quarterback. And then I'm going to Miko Ryans because if you think about who's making this call, at least initially, it's Chris Ballard. And Ryans is coordinating a defense right now that Ballard has always wanted to build here. And now he's built some pretty good defenses. This year was okay. Um, certainly not the reason they, they only won four games, but that 49ers defense is absolutely a monster. I love watching them. So I think Ryans deserves a shot. I think Steichen's an interesting offensive guy. I could go Brian Callahan with what he's done. But I think Zach Taylor has a big role in that in Cincinnati. So my three are Steichen, Ryans, and Raheem Morris. All right. Where's my guy Dan Quinn? They need older. They need crusty. They need been there, done that, regardless of him being a 
a very good defensive coordinator and maybe it all being with a success offensively on the shoulders of Kyle Shanahan back in the day at Atlanta, it matters not. I think this team that has been disjointed as a team, apparently unconnected as a team, they need somebody like Dan Quinn. Thus, I would put Dan Quinn in that particular, don't laugh, threesome right here. Why not Dan Quinn in your estimation? No, I hear you, man. There's there's nothing against him, and his star did not dim at all in this playoff run. He is not the reason that Dallas didn't get it done yesterday. I think everybody watching the game knows it was on the other side of the ball, and the quarterback struggled, and that's the reality. I don't know how Dan Quinn's interview went, but I imagine he was very impressive. Now, he's the, he's the only other former head coach that's in this group, right? Raheem Morris and Dan Quinn, and I'm not. No, I'm not putting Jeff Saturday in that category because he's never built it up from the very beginning of a season. Um, so, yeah, I, I could see Dan Quinn. I wonder how he interviewed. I know he was very selective last year and then eventually dropped out. So the fact that he sat down with the Colts on Friday night via Zoom is pretty telling that there's some interest there. But I wonder, I wonder about these veteran coaches who know a lot of people around the league, how tepid, how hesitant they might be to walk into a situation where the owners had his fingertips on things the last couple of years. Zach Key for the Athletics on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Potline. So do you feel the same way about the proposition of Jeff Saturday maintaining that gig as you might have toward the end of the season or any other time since right now? Yeah, man, I'm, I'm going to be totally honest with you. My stance hasn't changed on this. Like, I know there's some reports out there and, like, all that, but, like, here's, here's what I'm saying. Everything I know about what Chris Ballard is thinking right now, I don't think, I do not believe that he will be the recommendation at the end of this. What I'm saying is I don't think Chris Ballard will be recommending Jim Irsay at the end of this search. I don't even think he'll be in his final three. That's my gut. That's my guess. Again, this is not a report, but that's everything that I know about Chris Ballard and everything we heard from him last week and every conversation I've had over the last week with people around the search tells me that Jeff Saturday is not going to be Chris Ballard's pick. So then you move into the situation where Jim Mercer trumps his GM again. And you just mentioned this, JMV. What, is, what does this team need? They, need? they need a new direction. They need some veteran ability from a coaching perspective to come in and earn the respect of the locker room, that these guys are going to buy into the coach, getting the best out of them individually and the best as a team. And, and if, you, if you usurp your GM again, if the top two decision makers for this franchise can't agree on the head coach, that coach is going to be doomed to fail from the start. This, this town knows that, right? When's the last time the coach and the GM weren't on the same page? That's when they had a quarterback in this town, and it got so bad that Ursay sent him to freaking counseling, right? Like, that really happened. So I just think that's a terrible way to go about the business, and I know Jim Ursay is a wild card right now, and I'm not ruling anything out. But I just can't see Ursay stepping on Ballard again and saying, no, I'm going to force you to work with this coach who you didn't pick in the first place and didn't pick again. That's just bad ball. And then that's just really setting things up to fail, not just for the team, but whoever this new quarterback that comes in is. So let's just say there's a final five or a final three. Let's keep it at three here that Chris Ballard presents through all this excruciating and time-consuming evaluation, and Jeff Saturday is not a part of it, does that piss off Jim Irsay? Well, you're hiring your GM to do his job, and you got to let him do his job. Yeah, but I, I mean, think... you, you know who we're talking about here. Right. Seriously, just the right. situation itself. Because he had a GM 
and he had a job to do, and he didn't want to make that hire on an interim basis. Uh, and the owner did, and the owner did. I'm just I'm curious what might be. So you think Jim would be cool with what was his guy, his outside the box thinking guy, a guy that he trusted, and chastise the media after they beat the Raiders in that initial game? You, right. you think that he would be cool with the recommendation coming back of three coaches without Jeff Saturday's name being on it? You know what? This might be a surprise, but I do. I do think Ursay would be cool with that. This is me guessing, right? This is not me. Cause sure, I understand. This is not from a, a talk with Jim Ursay, but I, I think Ursay wants to get this ship righted. I really do. And, and I have a story coming out tomorrow that sort of lays out how this process has worked in the past and how I expect it to work for the most part this time. Ballard leads the search. Ballard brings a candidate to Ursay. Ursay wasn't involved in the last coaching search until he flew out to Foxborough to meet with McDaniels and McDaniels' wife, and they had dinner. And the dinner went well because there was a handshake agreement at the end of that dinner. So, you know, Ballard's job, and I think this is the important part here, by letting Ballard run the search, I think in a way, in a way, at least for now, Ursay is handing the keys back to his GM and, and entrusting him to fix this franchise. I do believe that to a degree. Now, again, I have to, I have to add this in every time I say this because I can't predict what he's going to do. I can't predict what Jim Ursay is going to do, but – but going against that ruling, going against that recommendation, it just creates further dysfunction. And for a team that's been in dysfunction for the at least the last five months, and let's 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 call it what it is, the last couple of years have been crazy around here. That's just creating more of it unnecessarily. So I think at the end of the day, the boss needs to listen to the guy he hired to do this job. So Zach Kiefer of the Athletics on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. What's more important, what they do at quarterback in April, presumably, or who they handpick as the next head coach? I'm going quarterback because let's say they get this right. The quarterback's going to be here 10 years, maybe 12. You know, the coach coaches don't usually stick around for that long. Maybe you get the coach right, maybe you don't. Um, but it's really, really important you get the coach right for a lot of reasons. You've got to cultivate that quarterback in a way that you can't set him up to fail. So many teams have done that. But if you miss on the quarterback, you don't have a chance. You just don't have a chance because you're going to have to play him. And if he's not good, you're going to have to reset and go get another one in a couple of years. And so the coach is really important, but the quarterback is more important. Yeah, I'd agree that. What do you think they're looking at quarterback-wise? Man, I'm still stuck on the coaching search. I, I am going to go down to the pro day at Ohio State in March. I'm going to go to the pro day at Kentucky a couple of days later to see these guys up in person. But, you know, and I haven't studied the tape closely because I've been swamped with the coaching search, but doesn't C.J. Stroud sound like a lot of fun? Like, I know he's not a finished product, and I know there's a little bit of growing he's got to do, but I think a big mobile quarterback like him that probably needs to get a little bit better with his accuracy down the field, I think he could be a lot of fun. So, do you, uh, let's just say, and again, there's a lot of assuming here, um, hypotheticals, you can't get past it because we don't know a lot. And I've said the same thing about Stroud, and I've really based my opinion on that national semifinal game against Georgia, yeah. where he, he moved around, he looked like an NFL-level, high-quality, could-be elite-level quarterback in that game. And I, I hear a lot of, well, you know, Ohio State, they don't put out – you know, high-level quarterbacks, whatever. I I just I went by that game. Now, also, I'm unfair with Will Levis because when I watched him play, he sucked. 
So I don't know if that's more about him, the team he's playing, his Kentucky team not being any good, whatever. So I, I probably unfairly basing my opinion regarding both of these. But let's just say, for example, that they want Stroud or they want one of the top two quarterbacks. Do they have what it takes? Will they have what it takes to execute to try to get up to what is necessary to get one of these guys? Again, presuming that's where they're going to be in April at the top of this draft. Yeah, they do. You know why? Because the owner will tell them to find what it takes to go get this guy. And by that, I mean capital and future draft picks, whatever it takes. Ursay's done with this rent-a-QB cycle. He's tired of it. He was tired of it after Phillip Rivers because he didn't want to trade for Wentz and he wanted to draft one of their own. So they're done with that. I mean, and that doesn't mean they're not going to sign some guy in the offseason just to be a bridge quarterback, but that's not going to be a permanent solution. So with regards to Will Levis, like how much did it did – a, did a, underachieving team in a bad year, how much does that tell you? That's sort of the art of it, right? The nuance of it. And that's going to be the fun part of the scouting process because the interviews and stuff like that is going to be so important because you're hypothetically drafting the franchise quarterback for the next 10 years. With Strout, man, I'm right with you. Like, I walked away from the Michigan game being like, ah, he didn't look very good. I wouldn't take a flyer on him. And then he saved his best game of the year against the best defense and the best team in the country And they should have won that game, as everybody watching that game saw. So, you know, I don't care as much about the past with Ohio State and how their quarterbacks haven't become superstars in the league. All I care about is this one particular prospect. And and I'll dig into him a lot more as as the months progress as we get closer to the draft. But, man, the way he played against Georgia, that'll win on Sundays. Well, and again, you can also look at it as, well, look who he's throwing to. I mean, there's not a lot of teams out there that have at at their disposal the type of wide receiving weapons that they do with Marvin Harrison Jr. to start with at Ohio State. And and I, I consider that as well. But just the small sample size that we have right now, that's definitely who I like. So would you expect, Zach, would you expect the Colts to be a major trade-up player coming up here in the offseason? Well, you got to look at who's up there. Right. I mean, I really only think there's one team that's going to be taking a quarterback ahead of them. Like, right. Like, do they need to? Like, if we know one thing about the GM, he's not going to make a move unless he feels like he needs to. And and this is an interesting perspective from Dane Brugler, who runs our scouting for the athletic. Like he had them moving up to take to take Bryce Young, number one. Now, Bryce Young is everything you want in a lot of ways, but there's the size factor. He's what, barely six feet. And that's a real thing. And that's not where the league is going. And you see these quarterbacks that are a little bit smaller that have been hurt, like Lamar Jackson didn't finish the season healthy. Kyler Murray didn't finish the season healthy. And the other thing in this is traits, and Ballard always goes for traits. He loves the stuff you can't teach, the size, the speed, the athleticism, like the stuff that that jumps out in the testing phase. Now, this is a little bit different because this is a quarterback. Would Ballard go against that norm that he's pretty much lived by since he became the GM to draft the most important position on the field. Brugler thinks he would. He thinks there's that much of a separation between Bryce Young and Levis and Stroud. We'll see. There's a lot more to come in terms of the scouting over the next couple months with these guys. But if there's not much of a difference between Young and Stroud, and this is just me guessing, if there's not, you just stay at four. And you probably take the gamble that Stroud is probably still on the board. But again, does another team climb ahead of you? Climb ahead of you at four. I think that's real. And and if there's one wild card in this, it's the owner in the back of the room saying, don't take any chances, get up to number one, let's get our guy, and let's move on. 
Yeah, I, and again, you don't know. I mean, maybe this thing drastically turns around as to who believes going to go where as quarterbacks. I mean, I guess sitting here right now, maybe, maybe Lev. If if you like Levis, if they did, maybe he, you know, falls to you at four anyway, and you don't have to give up anything for it. But that is just so much to, so much to understand and get to where we hit that time. It really is like throwing darts right now at it. Yeah, and one thing I want to add about Levis is. A former Colts assistant coach named Brad White, who ran the linebackers here for a couple years, is now the defensive coordinator at Kentucky. So he's had an up-close and personal view at Levis the last, what, two years, right? And I think Ballard and him are still close. I think Ballard helped him get that job when the Colts had their coaching staff turnover in 2018 when Frank Wright came in. So they're going to have a guy who's had eyes and ears on this kid at the college level. And if they like Levis, there's no doubt in my mind – that that's because Brad White gave him a really strong recommendation. If they don't, it's possible that White was like, eh, he wasn't that good this last year. Now, I'm just spitballing here, but that's not something to overlook. This is a guy where if you're a scout, you ask everybody around that program what you know about this guy, and they have a guy who's a very familiar face um, down there in Kentucky and Brad White. Zach Kiefer of the Athletic, he's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Colts coaching search, you think they add – Anybody else to the list here between now and whenever they make the decision? Gosh, I hope not, man. I mean, it's already at 14, and yeah. I got a story tomorrow. That's that's more than any team's interviewed in the last four years, in at least the last four years. So when they were saying that they're going to cast a wide net, they weren't kidding. And, and it's not that uncommon for teams to interview 10 or 11 or 12 guys. The Jaguars interviewed 12 last year before hiring Doug Peterson. But at this point, you haven't even started your second round of interviews. And they can't interview any coach that's still coaching in the playoffs this week. So if you want to sit down with Steichen or Callahan or Bienemy or D'Amico Ryans for the first time, that can't happen until next Monday. So anything with you and, and my perfect candidate, if he would have been a candidate, was Jim Harbaugh. And clearly he's not, and evidently he has not been. What was To me... Rick Venturi uses this this word all the time, malpractice. To me, it would be malpractice if the Colts on some level did not have interest and did not, at the very least, reach out in some form or fashion. Did they? And was this all Jim Harbaugh saying, hey, look, in Indy, that's not me right now. Um, I may take an interview with Carolina or the Broncos, but uh, I'm just staying in Ann Arbor. Was there no interest whatsoever from the Harbaugh side in Indy? I'm not so sure about that. Again, it's a little dangerous. I'm speculating a little bit, but I wouldn't I wouldn't box it in that clearly. I, I do think Harbaugh had some NFL interest. Obviously he doesn't sit down with the Broncos over a virtual meeting unless he does. Um what I know is I, I just don't think he was on Ballard's list. I don't think he was on Ballard's list. Now was he on the owner's list? A lot of people think he was. A lot of people think he was. I can't say for sure because that is something only Jim Mercer knows. But I, I just don't think Jim Harbaugh was on Ballard's list. I don't think the building wanted Jim Harbaugh maybe as much as Jim Mercer did. Again, this is speculation. Um, but the fact that they're interviewing 14 guys and not one of them is the former quarterback who's done nothing but league college and the pros who's in the ring of honor. That's very telling to me. All right. 
I and again, you, you, this is there's a lot of a lot of rumorous stuff here, right? Um, so I I, I I had heard that that maybe Harbaugh didn't have a certain level of interest because of Ballard still being here. And people are going to say, well, that's because you thought Ballard should be gone after year number six, and that this has nothing to do with it. I, that's what I'd heard. That was kind of a rumor floating around. A, did you hear that? And B, do you think there might be any level of truth to one of the reasons why maybe Harbaugh would have been turned off and not had a level of interest here? Yeah, I didn't hear that. Not not in, at least in a way that made me feel like it was substantiated. Um, how does that even work? Because let's go based on what we know. We know that Ballard's going to be here for a year seven. Whether you agree or disagree, it doesn't matter. He's going to be here, and he's going to have a say in this coaching search. And I just – it's honestly, it's hard for me to see a world in where they both work together. Now, I'm not saying it's impossible, but, right, I mean, it's pretty clear that, that, that Jim Harbaugh, at least it's one of the reasons he it led to his ouster in San Francisco, where all he did was win was, was the fact that he wanted more personnel control. He wants to say. And a lot of coaches do. And, and I just don't know how that would have worked here. No coach who has been under Ballard here has had that much personnel say. Um, but, again, I'm kind of just throwing stuff out there because I, I, just, I just didn't think – I didn't think he was on Ballard's list, and I don't think it went any further than that. What would you ra- – okay, this is a good one. You're really going to get mad at me about this. Is it okay if I ask <laughs> it anyway? Bring it on. <laughs> would you rather have – Harbaugh as the coach for the future or Ballard as the general manager for the future? Oh, that's a good one. Um, You know, man, like a month ago, I was right there with you on Harbaugh. Now, it's not going to happen, obviously, but I just really think he would have been a really good hire for a lot of reasons. And if that meant Ballard is out, that's what the team probably had to do. I mean, you've had six years to fix this franchise, and they're they're in as bad of a spot right now as they've been at any other point in his tenure. So I just think, and, and again, you can find a little bit of hardball, maybe in a Dan Quinn, maybe you can find a little bit of him in a Raheem Morris. I'm not sure. No one knows the future, but I just think a guy that comes in with that track record, who's won everywhere he's been and who would really shore up things probably on the offensive line in the run game. And with a young quarterback, he's worked with a lot of great quarterbacks. I mean, he took Colin Kaepernick to a Super Bowl. Um, there's a lot to like about what he could bring. But then again, I've never worked with Jim Harbaugh. I don't know what he's like behind the scenes. Oh, I'm sure there's a shelf life. I'm sure there's a shelf life. But normally on that yeah. shelf, there are some pretty good times when he's leading it. So Would, would, would the fan base trade a, shelf, a short shelf life for a couple, you know, at the very least, appearances in the AFC title game? <laughs> Probably. Sure as hell they would. Probably. I, um, I, I will be very disappointed if I ever get anything concrete of that being the case and one path one path was broken because another path continued so that that um that bugged me a little bit right there it would so yeah but i will say this for ursay if there everything that's happened over the last 12 months if you want to find a way forward and if you're going to stick with ballard and we can debate that to the end of the year it doesn't matter he's going to come back you're going to stick with ballard then you've got to let ballard run the team if you're gonna if you're gonna make him hire a new coach, if you're gonna let him do this, then you gotta let him hire a coach that he can work with and that he believes that can get it done. I just feel like you can't force another coach on him because that's just destined to fail. Whether it's Jeff Saturday or somebody else, that's not gonna work. So based on what we know, 
I think you step back and you let your GM hire the next coach. If it doesn't work, then then the GM's out, right? You don't get to hire four coaches. But I just feel like that's the only way this has a chance of working is if the owner steps out and allows his GM to do his job. Hey, Zach, final thing in closing on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. What do you think Jim Irsay has thought about Jeff Saturday as the interim coach? I mean, you, you ever think about yeah. ever any intel on what might have been his true feelings regarding the guy that he went outside the box with and brought in and then the rest of the season the way that that thing went and especially down the drain there, what he felt about Jeff Saturday and his time as the interim coach? You know, that's a good question. I talked to Ursay, I want to say, in early December, and that was before things really went off the rails, right? I think it was before the Dallas game. So they'd been, I don't know, fairly competitive, if that's the right word, to that point. They always beat the, almost beat the Eagles. And he was selling them, man. Like, you know, Jim Ursay loves to sell. He loves to sell hope. He was saying he's an outstanding candidate. He's going to have a shot for the full-time job. The other thing that's true is Jim Ursay is not an idiot. Like, he knows how this team played down the stretch, and he knows how they collapsed, and he knows – what happened in Dallas and Minnesota and against Houston, for God's sakes, in week 18. So he saw that and he felt that. But I think a big part of this is, is like he wants a guy who's going to come in and change the culture and, and keep these guys accountable. I know we're tired of hearing that phrase, but he likes a lot of that in Jeff Saturday. Now there's other candidates that sure, sure are going to do that as well. So that's the thing. But can, can he really can he really sell that like what's the city going to do if it if it if it comes out that Jeff Saturday is the head coach full time like and the other thing John that I'm going to yeah. mention and this is going to sound crazy he pays attention to social media he does he reads it. it it's happened twice before the Chuck Stay thing at the end of the 15th season he gave him a contract extension not the next day I'm not saying it's because of social media but he's at least aware of it the second time is a couple years ago when Ty was in that pretty staunch uh, contract negotiation. Jim Mercer stepped in and got that deal over the finish line. I'm not saying Saturday keeps the job, but I'm saying at the very least, Ursay is aware that his fan base is firmly, for the most part, firmly against keeping just Saturday on. I wondered, I was going to ask you that about, because it has to have been like a you know, hit over the head with consistency of fans and we're talking Colts fans that probably love Jeff Saturday, love Jeff Saturday Absolutely. as a player that have been staunchly against him and his return. And I, yeah, it doesn't surprise me at all that Jim Irsay via social media has probably you know, soaked a lot of that negativity from the fan base regarding his higher up. I mean, every time he logs in, right? I mean, I, I see the tweets that are sent his way. And, and the other thing is, like, my theory is that he thought this Saturday hire originally in November was going to go over so well. He thought people were going to love it, that he brought back somebody from the glory days and this fan favorite who was going to change everything and save the season. And it didn't happen. And now the reality is you, you just can't sell that again. And I, I, again, I just don't think, I just don't think it's good ball to overstep your GM a second time. And, and I think the, the future of the franchise would be this could be a catastrophic move. I really believe that if they stick with Jeff Saturday. All right, I got one more. I apologize. Zach Kiefer's with the final thing right here. All right, so do you think Chris Ballard would still be here if big decisions did not be, need to be made for the next head coach 
and the hopeful long-term quarterback? Or was it all Jim Irsay's trust, belief, and confidence in Ballard? That's a really good question. That's a really good point. I, I, I think you're on to something. I think you look at this franchise that's absolutely in transition right now, facing two of the biggest decisions it's going to have over the next decade, right? Certainly with the quarterback. And then secondly, with the coach, right? So the quarterback, what Ursay told me, which was really telling, was, and these are a, this is a direct quote, Chris has that magic touch in the draft room. I think anybody out there, now Ballard's had some misses for sure, but he's drafted pretty well. He's drafted pretty well, the one outlier, being he hasn't had the stones to take a quarterback yet. And you got to do that. You can't keep sitting on the sideline. But the reality is Ursay believes in Ballard's ability to draft and construct a roster. Ursay stepped in only when it comes to the head coach and the quarterback. And I think that's where he's gotten, well, at least made things a little bit messier. So he believes in him to draft a team. Does he believe in him to, to hire a coach? We're going to find out in the next couple of weeks because that's going to be really telling. But I do believe he believes in Ballard and his staff to draft the next quarterback, and I think that's a factor in this as well. He didn't want to have to go hire a new GM, not know his, his chops when it comes to drafting, and then let that guy decide the decision that's going to shape the franchise for the next decade. Yeah, I, I, to me, I think that played a significant role. Now, listen, does he still trust Chris Ballard? I, I don't think there's any question that he does. Certainly a hell of a lot more than I do, but he does, and maybe it's misguided. Uh, I believe that it is, but maybe maybe it isn't, whatever. But I, I think had it not been for those three major categories right there, that there would not be so much trust in the past six years and what has been that of uh, Chris Ballard being here. That's just me. Uh, that's an opinion I have. But I, I think that Chris Ballard still looms large in this decision-making process because of those two major decisions, Zach, that need to be made. Yeah, and it, it's amazing how quickly things could yep. change if, if they get the right quarterback, right? And I'm not saying they're going to the playoffs next year, but everything can change. Optimism, belief whether you can get free agents to come here. Like, it's amazing how quickly that can change if you get the right guy at the right position on a rookie deal. Now, you got to hit. Like, just because they draft one doesn't mean he's going to be the guy. But I think that that can change. And if there's anything I know about Jim Irsay, he believes, man. He believes. So he believes they're going to get the right guy at quarterback, but we're going to have to find out if they do. Zach Kiefer of The Athletic is here. What you writing about? <laughs> Take a guess. Man, I'm writing about 14 different coaches. You know what, who's going to be the third tight end coming up in 2023? Is that it? Man, I haven't even looked at the roster, man. I couldn't even tell you. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I honestly, man, I don't think there's a hire until February. I'm, I'm just guessing, but it just doesn't seem like they're moving that quickly. They're going to have to make a, a list of finalists, whether it's three or four or five or six, and then they're going to have to bring those guys in again. And remember, those will be – at least a couple of them will be in person, and that matters a lot. Some guys are much better in person than they are on Zoom. That's the stage we're getting into this week. And, and again, they have to wait on D'Amico Ryan if they want to bring him in for an interview, and I absolutely would. So, Zach Kiefer of The Athletic, I appreciate you, man, more than you know. Have a great week. Thanks, man. Zach Kiefer of The Athletic on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline.